0: Point Church, how's everybody doing this morning? Everybody doing well? It's good to see you here this morning. Excited about this morning? Uh, we begin a new series, and uh, uh, I couldn't be more excited about it. It's an eight-week series, and so we got some time uh, to walk through this one. But it's going to be good, and and uh, I know it's already uh, impacted my life as I read through it and as I study. And I hope it will for you as well. Uh, before we dive into the Word this morning. I want to just make you aware of a couple of things. You might have caught these announcements on the on the video before uh, the in the know video before uh, we started the service. But but one of the things that uh, I want to just make sure that you hear about this morning is our Veterans Day lunch. We do this uh, every year on Veterans Day, and this year, November the eleventh is Veterans Day. And so, if you're a veteran or if you are currently serving in the military, we just want to honor you, and uh, we we need you to register for that event. You can do so right out these doors in the Next Step area. But we would just love to, to have you here as our guest as we just celebrate our veterans and, and just thank you for uh, serving uh, in our military and, uh, and the service that you have done for our country. And so that's going to be a very special day for us uh, as, a, as a faith family as we do that this, um, this Labor Day. Uh, and so, I mean, excuse me, this Veterans Day and just excited about doing that with you. But also, um, we are kicking off now our Share the Season initiative, which is something we do every year. Many of you have been participating in that initiative uh, for quite some time. But, but it's, uh, it's an opportunity for us to, to really just uh, bless those that are in our community uh, through the life of this church. We do things like Adopt-A-Box ministry, where we take uh, Thanksgiving dinners out to different people. And I know last year I was a part of just taking dinners myself to different churches and I mean to different families and it was really amazing just the the conversations I had the opportunity to have with these families and and so we want to do that this year uh, another thing is the giving tree last year we also did the uh, Christmas at the courthouse down in Quitman to support our our campus down there this year we're going to add something to this initiative uh, the share the season initiative and in that we're doing a uh, we're starting a ministry called. Uh, home at the holidays, and it's uh, it's a time for us to build a home with Habitat for Humanity. Uh, it'll be a time for us to to do that and to bless a family this this holiday season. So a lot of things happening with share the uh, share the season initiative. And so if you want more information about how you can be a part of that and be uh, a part of just going out and blessing others and being missional in our community, then just see the guys there in uh, Next Steps area, and they'll get you all the information. Get you signed up for these things. Some exciting things happening though in the life of the church this season. Uh, This morning we're kicking off a new series and we're going to be walking through Romans 8. Romans 8. Today we'll be looking at verses 1 through 4. Uh, I want to pray for us and then we're going to dive into the word here together. So let's pray and just ask God to bless this time together uh, with you and I as we look into his word. Pray with me if you will. Father, thank you for this day and thank you God for just the Incredible opportunity we have to gather in this place each and every week and worship you in spirit and truth. And God, we've gathered here today to celebrate Jesus. We've gathered here today to remember the, the greatness of who you are, but Lord, all the great things that you have accomplished in our life. And Father, we are thankful for your presence. We are thankful, God, that you give us that opportunity to just be a part of your kingdom each and every day. And so, Father, today as we dive into your word as a church, Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds that that they would be receptive to uh, your voice here this morning. Help us to place aside every distraction as we look into your word. And God, teach us this morning the things that you would have us to know. We love you, Lord, and we just praise you. And we just thank you for all that you give us the opportunities to do and to participate in with Share the Season and Veterans Day Lunch and things of that nature. God, what a remarkable opportunity we have to just be a part of, of just uh, your kingdom and, and God, all the things that you would lead us into. We love you and we praise you and we pray now, God, as we look into your word that you would speak deeply into our hearts and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. If you will, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter eight. That's where we're gonna kick off here this morning and uh, while you find your place there, let me just say this, that, that Romans chapter eight is a, is, a, is a very significant part of scripture. In fact, all of Romans is a a very significant part of Scripture. The major theme, if you will, of of the book of Romans is redemption. I mean, all through the Scripture, the the writings that are found there are really pointing to one big centralized theme, and that theme is redemption, the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus. And so it's pointing to the reality that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, by the time you get to Romans chapter 8, you're going to see that the scriptures begin to, to emphasize, uh, uh, sort of above everything else, uh, emphasize the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I love that. Now I think it's one of those passages of Scripture that it's very important for us to understand and to, to read and to study and, and to really just think about all that is, is said there, but, but it focuses on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in Romans 8, uh, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 20 times in just one chapter. And so that's a remarkable amount of times for, the, for, for just the Holy Spirit to be mentioned there. And so obviously there's a, there's a huge focus on the Holy Spirit and the role that he plays in our life. But, but make no mistake, the focus that is put on display here is really the, the transformative life that we have in Christ Jesus. The reality that God has done something significant in our life and that God is looking to continue to do something significant in our life. And that's what this chapter teaches us, specifically this, this text that we're going to be looking at today, verses 1 through 4. Several years ago, Macintosh was looking to come up with a new slogan for their company, that, that slogan that would propel them in, into the future with, uh, in, in the area of business. And so they wanted something very simple, but they wanted something very powerful And so they they got their minds together and and the different people that were working on this project. And they finally came out with a slogan that was just two words. And it was these two words. Think differently. I I love that phrase. I love how simple it is. I love how powerful it is. It, It challenges someone to think outside the box, if you will. Well, this chapter of Scripture, and specifically this text, that we're looking at today, the Apostle Paul, it's almost as if he is challenging us to not just think differently, but to be different. And that's the challenge that we have here. That's the, that's the challenge that, that Paul has really taken us in as we look into this passage here this morning. Now, the, the sermon is titled Hashtag Liberated. Hashtag liberated. And I'm going to explain hashtag in just a moment, but I love this word liberated. I was looking it up in the dictionary, and it basically defined it as this. To be set free as from imprisonment or bondage. To be set free from either imprisonment or bondage. And I love that because that's exactly what the the gospel teaches us about what Christ has done for us. Amen? He has liberated us from sin, from the bondage of sin. He has saved us. From the wages of that sin, which is death. And so we have been set free. And that's what we're going to read about here this morning. I love what Galatians 5.1 says concerning being liberated from our sin. Uh, Galatians 5.1 says this. Stand fast, therefore, in liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again in, with a yoke. Of bondage, And so that's a very powerful passage of Scripture teaching us of this reality that we have been set free because of the work uh, of Christ in our life. And so what a powerful thing to, to, to look at as we springboard into this passage. Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 4. Now let me, let me get to this hashtag thing for just a moment because I don't want you to, to miss the significance of that. You know, uh, one of the things that, that we know is that social media... Uh, the hashtag is a, is a really an integral way of communication. Uh, you know Twitter, for those of you who have ever, who have a Twitter account or ever been a part of Twitter, you know exactly what the hashtag is, and, and it, it, Twitter was really the, the basic uh, start of the whole hashtag movement. but it's grown so much more widespread than that these days. And in fact, most every social media uses this, uh, this hashtag or this pound sign in front of a word. And it, it really is used to denote a very specific topic of conversation. It's usually one word or just a few words, it's, but, it, but it denotes that, that, listen, this is something to have conversation about. This is something to discuss. This is something that you might be interested in. And so that's why we decided to use this, because as we walk through this passage of Scripture, we want to identify those specific topics that that the Word of God is challenging us to investigate, to study, to have conversation about and to think about and to process in our life. And so this morning we're in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, in a message that's titled, Liberated, or Set Free. So read along with me if you will. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says this, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now here's what we see. We see that Paul begins to really identify three specific things that we can have conversation about in this text. He really identifies three things that are very important in the life of, of a believer. Uh, Those three things, I want to go ahead and give them to you right now, and then we're going to discuss each one of them. But the first one is this, is salvation. The second one is substitution. And then the third one is sanctification. And so these are three points of conversation conversation that the Apostle Paul presents to the Romans as he kicks off this, this chapter of Scripture, and he begins to take them through Word of God here and bring some very important things to to us uh, this morning as we look into this. So um, I want to talk about each, each one of these. The first one that Paul references here is salvation, is salvation. And so what we see here is that Paul begins with some very encouraging words for believers. You see, what he's doing is he's writing this letter to those who are in Christ or those who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, for the Christians who are living in Rome. And so he writes these very encouraging words to them. And, and it's an encouraging passage, no doubt. This whole chapter is filled with encouraging words. In fact, some theologians would say that Romans 8 is one of the most encouraging of all chapters in Scripture. I love what R.C. Sproul says about Romans chapter 8, verse 28. He says this. He says, Romans 8, 28 is one of the most comforting texts in all of Scripture. It assures the believer that all tragedies are ultimate blessings. And I'll tell you, the day that that comes in our life when we're able to see our tragedies as blessings, that's a great day, isn't it? That's the day that we we finally begin to realize what it means that, that Christ provides to us the peace that surpasses all understanding, isn't it? And so here we see that Romans 8 begins with this very encouraging word discussing salvation and what salvation means to us. Look at this passage with me, if you will. Verse 1, he starts off and he says this, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you are thankful that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? How many of you find that as good news this morning? Amen. That's so encouraging, isn't it? You know, the the reality is that we know so much about what salvation is for us, and, and here we see one of these most encouraging words. But now, I want to talk about this for just a moment because what Paul does not say is that there's no accusation against us. He says there's no condemnation against us. There is this idea of an accusation. We find it in Romans 3:23 and 24 when the word of God says this, "For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace" ...as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The first part of that, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God... ...is the accusation against humanity, isn't it? That we're all sinners. And for those of us who have come to know Christ Jesus... ...we know that the realities are we are in a place where we are in great need of a Savior... ...or the atonement of our sins, the, the forgiveness of our sins, right? Right? We know that. That is part of our gospel story. That is part of what Christ has done for us through his death on the cross. And so we know that that there is a reality that exists out there that there are this accusation, if you will, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But praise God, the word of God teaches us there is no longer any condemnation. We also know that there are consequences to the sin. With outside of Christ Jesus. In Romans 6 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. In other words, our sins have earned us eternal separation from God. But praise God, and this is the good news again praise God, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore no longer any condemnation. We don't have to worry about being. Eternal, eternally separated from God anymore because through Christ we have been saved through our faith. Amen? And so here Paul really just points to this idea of salvation. And he wants the reader, he wants this local church gathering in Rome to see the significance of what it means to have this very right relationship with the Lord Jesus. And so he, he points this out and, and no doubt highly encouraging to the believers there as they read this passage. Now look at verse 2 with me, if you will. In verse 2, we read these words. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. I love this. For the law of the Spirit of life, the Holy Spirit of God, from, from what God has done in our life, the reality that by his grace we have been saved, He says this, we have been set free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The price for sin is death. We know that. But Jesus has paid the price. How many of you are thankful for that this morning? That he has paid the price. We were unable and he was able he paid the price. There is victory in Christ Jesus. We sang about that just a few moments ago as we were uh, worshiping through, through song. But we were singing about the victory that we have in Christ. But speaking of paying the price, the next topic of conversation or, or discussion that Paul presents to us is this idea of substitution. Substitution. And so we want to look at that this morning as we continue in this study. You know, we, so we see salvation. We see that, that, that Paul points to salvation and the realities or the encouragement that we have in salvation. And then he presents to us this idea of substitution. Look at verse 3 with me. He says this. He says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. I love how this starts off. He says, for God has done what the law weakened by our flesh could not do. In other words, making reference to this reality that we cannot save ourselves from our sin. We cannot. We, there's nothing we can do. We can't earn enough favor with god we can't do enough great works for god we can't earn our salvation we can't even save ourselves the reality is we are completely dependent upon god for the atonement of our sins we are completely reliant on god for any forgiveness or salvation that may happen in our life but here's the beautiful thing about god is that he loved us so much that he sent his son to take our place in that death He sent his son who would come and walk on this earth and live a sinless life only to go to the cross and die and be buried in a tomb on our behalf. In other words, he is our substitute. He was the substitute for what we deserved. And so here we see this being played out. uh, He says, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. The greatest gift. That God has ever given to humanity is the gift of his own son's life. Amen. That's the greatest gift that God has ever given us. And I love how the Apostle Paul brings reference to that. He, He points that out. He says, listen, I want you to remember your salvation. I want you to remember that in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. But he says, listen, that is only possible because of the reality that Christ is our substitute. Substitution is the major theme throughout the Bible. We see this major theme from the Old Testament to the New. In fact, the Old Testament we see take place when God allowed sacrifice of animals. In other words, what God allowed as atonement for the sins of his people is the sacrifice of an animal. And so we see this as we read throughout the Old Testament where God's people would bring an unblemished lamb. He would bring an unblemished lamb and they would sacrifice that on the altar. There would be the shedding of blood for the atonement of sins. This was God's way of atoning for their sins as they acted out their life in faith. And so they would do this. But then this this theme of substitution carried into the New Testament When Christ came. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says this. For our sake, he made him, meaning Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. In other words, he was living his life without sin. He was the unblemished lamb for us. And so for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. And so Jesus took our place. He became the unblemished lamb for us. This idea of substitution. He sacrificed for us. We deserve death uh, because of our sins, but Christ took our place. I often wonder, you know, why would God do that? But then we read in passages like 2 Peter 3, 9, where God reminds us, of the reality that God would desire that none would perish. And so this is just one of the reasons why God might do this. I love what John Piper once said. He wrote these words. He said, he said, God is on the move to rescue people from misery to everlasting happiness, which can only be found in him. I love that because it says this. I love this idea, this picture that it presents to us that God is on the move. God is looking to redeem. God is looking to save. God is looking to those who are undeserving of salvation to pour out his unconditional grace in their life and to redeem them, to save them from their sins. And so God is on the move. We see this idea of salvation that Paul is talking about. And then we see this glimpse as Paul begins to, to look into This other area, he wants us to understand substitution and the importance and how profound that is. And so he presents that to us as well. And then we come to the third topic of discussion that we begin to see in this passage. And it's this, sanctification. So we have salvation, we have substitution, and now we're going to take a look at sanctification. This this is a powerful passage of Scripture as well in verse 4. It says this, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, look at this, this is the part I want you to see, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Do you see that? Those of us who have been saved, those of us who Christ died on the cross for, those of us who who Christ was buried in a borrowed tomb as a dead man, but only rose again on the third day. For those of us who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, we now no longer walk in the flesh, but we walk in the spirit. In other words, there is something that is taking place in us as believers in Christ Jesus. We are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit of God who dwells within us as believers in Christ Jesus. And that's what makes sanctification so beautiful is that we are not on this journey all alone. We are not living out our Christian faith all alone. Now, many of us can recognize those friends and families that are, that are so close to us and how they have encouraged us or maybe even discipled us along the way but make no mistake, my friends, it is the Holy Spirit of God who sanctifies. It is the Holy Spirit of God who brings that maturing growth into our life. And he sanctifies and he increases the holiness in our life. And he moves us away from sin and he takes us to a place of holiness. He moves us away from that place of unrighteousness and takes us to a place of righteousness. It is the Holy Spirit that is only and only he that is capable Of sanctifying us, so here's what we see: we see God moving His people from sinful to holy. I love what Millard Erickson, a theologian, once wrote. He says this: He says sanctification is the continuing work of God in the life of the believer, making him or her actually holy. It's God's working in our life. It's God's presence in our life. It's God's Spirit in our life, and he is, he is growing us. Now, obviously, it is the Holy Spirit of God who sanctifies us. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 reveals this to us. Read this with me, if you will. It says, "...and may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ." So may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. So we learn that not only is it that God saves and we were saved by this substitution that is found in Christ Jesus as the unblemished Lamb who was willing to die on the cross for you and for me. And now we see that the Spirit of God is working in our life in such a way. He he has taken us on a journey where He is moving us from sinful to holy, and that's a beautiful picture, my friends. That's a glorious thing that God is doing in our life. I can see why so many people would think that this Romans chapter 8 is so encouraging because we see this spelled out in such a beautiful way. But now, I want to point something out to us this morning as we bring this thing closer to a close. Obviously, it is the Holy Spirit who is sanctifying us. Obviously, it is the Holy Spirit of God who is maturing and growing us as believers in Christ Jesus. But you see, the church plays a role as well. The church plays a role in this process as well. Through the church, it is, it is the Holy Spirit who, who, who causes us to, to go out and to be a part of that whole discipleship pathway. I mean, discipleship process, excuse me. It is the church who is led by the Spirit who pours into the lives of others. Many of us that are sitting here today as believers in Christ Jesus have been profoundly impacted by the mentorship and the discipleship of those friends around us. And so obviously the Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies, but he embarks on the life of the church to pour into us as well. Each and every one of us as iron sharpening iron We are being discipled together and being sanctified by the Holy Spirit of God. And we are growing and we are maturing, each and every one of us together in this beautiful thing. And so, as I look at this, I'm reminded of what we often talk around here about uh, as we talk about or discuss discipleship. And that's this idea of a discipleship pathway. You know, the scriptures identify this pathway, if you will. That's our term. I mean, you can call it what you want. Uh, A journey, if you will. Some people would call it a journey. But in in Corinthians, Paul is writing to them and he describes this journey or this pathway that, that believers embark on. He starts off talking about how someone who doesn't know Christ comes to know Christ through redemption. And as they do, What Paul labels them as in his letter to the Corinthians is a spiritual babe. In other words, they are are just at the infancy part of their their salvation. They don't have a lot of foundation. They have enough of the gospel to understand who God is and who Christ is and what he's done for them. But they haven't matured as a believer. And so we would call these spiritual babes. And so here we have this idea of a spiritual babe. And the church takes on, according to Scripture, the role of a nurturing parent. Because Paul says to them, he says, "What do you feed a baby? You don't give a baby meat; you give them milk." And he talks about the the role of the church pouring into those spiritual babes and providing them the foundation that they need, that they may be grow that they may grow and be nurtured in their faith. And so he goes on talking about the spiritual babe and ultimately becoming or our, our next step becoming a, a maturing disciple, where now they're able to to eat. The meat, they're able to move from milk to meat. And, and in that process, they are learning. And intellectually, they, they they understand who God is even more so in their heart. They've learned how to, to trust God. Their faith has been challenged. And so they are a maturing disciple. And a maturing disciple continues to live out his faith and, and ultimately comes to that place where he begins to share his faith. And so he would be a multiplying leader. Now he's not just being discipled. He is now... Discipling. This is the process that we often talk about around here and that we see throughout Scripture where God is moving an individual from lost to spiritual babe to maturing disciple to multiplying leader. And as we have opportunity to make disciples, as we have opportunity to, to pour into one another, one of the things that we will recognize one day is the reality that as those who are around us begin to mature and they come to a place that many times God will call out those who he wants to send to a specific place. We call that a calling. We call that person who goes a co-laborer with us in in the gospel. And so we see this pathway take place. This morning, I want us to wrap up our service a little differently than we normally do. This morning, Uh, I want us to to have a, a, this is really a special time for us as a church because one of the things that we we have always said around here is that we don't measure our spiritual effectiveness by how many we can seat, but by how many we can send. And this morning, we have an opportunity to not only ordain one of our own, but to commission he and his wife as they go out to serve as co-laborers with us. In the gospel. This morning, we're going to have an ordination service for one of our very own. Seth Rice has been a part of our worship ministry for, for about five years now. I know Spence has, has, has been discipling him as well as others in the life of the church. And, and Seth has, has grown and matured, and there finally comes a day in his life where God has called him to, to rise up as a co laborer. And, to, and he is giving his life as a, as a worship leader. He wants to, to give his life as a worship leader and serve God using the gifts that God has given him. Seth has taken a position at a church in Birmingham, or near Birmingham, Alabama. And so this morning we have an opportunity, as they have requested and he has requested, to ordain Seth. And we have the awesome privilege of being able to do that, but then also commissioning he and his wife, Claire, as they prepare to go and embark on this new journey in their life. Isn't it wonderful that God gives us the privilege to make disciples, to see people grow, to see people mature, and to see people ultimately called out into Christian service and go out away from this place that they would take with them the desire to make disciples wherever they go. Can we just celebrate Jesus this morning? And can we just thank, thank God for all that he's done? In the life of Seth, I tell you, it's, it's, really, it's really amazing uh, what God is doing. You know, for us, ordination is really just an affirmation that we do by laying on hands. It's actually God who ordains. It's God who calls out. It's God who ordains. We just get to celebrate this and affirm this with God. In the Bible, ordination refers to an appointment by God typically to a very specific place. I want to give you some examples here this morning. Joseph was ordained as a ruler to Egypt. We read that in Acts 7, verse 10. Uh, the steward in Jesus' parable was ordained to oversee a household. We read that in Matthew 24, 45. Deacons were ordained to serve the Jerusalem church, Acts 6, 1-6. And pastors were ordained in each city in Crete, according to Titus 1-5. But I want to read this morning a passage from acts chapter 13 verses 2 through 4 because i think this is a beautiful picture of what's about to take place here in our service acts 13 verses 2 through 4 it says this while they were worshiping the lord and fasting the holy spirit said set apart for me barnabas and saul for the work to which i have called them so they after they had fasted and prayed they placed hands on they placed their hands on them and sent them off. I love this because here's what we read. We read that the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to. You see that? God's working in the life of a believer where God is the one who sets them apart, where God is the one who calls them out, where God is the one who ordains them in preparation that they may go out. It says here, as we continue this passage, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Caesarea. And so here we see this. And then we know that this is really what ordination is all about. These are the things that we learn about ordination. I want to give you these. I want to call our band, if they will, to come on up uh, wherever they are or come on out. Uh, hopefully they haven't left the building. Oh, there they are in the back. But I'm going to ask them to come on up and to, to move into place. We're almost done. But I want to just reiterate these few things here this morning. This is what we learn about ordination. It is God himself who calls the men and women into ministry and qualifies them with the gift. This is the working of God. We need not forget this truth that the Bible teaches. We also know that the church recognizes God's clear leading and we affirm that. In other words, what we're going to do here today is an affirmation that we see that this is God's work in Seth's life. This past week, our executive staff, our pastors of the church, we met with Seth, and we had what we call an ordination council. We asked him a lot of questions. It took us quite a while. We were asking him questions on theology. We were asking him questions on doctrine. We were even asking him questions on practical ways and means of doing ministry. But this is, uh, this is so that we can have the assurance that God has called him to this particular thing. That we can have the assurance and come to this day where we affirm that we believe that God is calling him to this place of ministry. And we can lay hands on him. And we, along with the Holy Spirit, can send him out into this world as a co-laborer. And so that's what we want to do here this morning. God works through the church as both the Spirit... And the church are sent out. Seth, I'm going to ask if you will just come and and sit in this chair here this morning. Um, you know, as as we close out the service, typically what we would do is have you just stand and we would all sing together and and then go home. But I want to ask you if this morning, if you would just remain seated. And as we as we as the worship team sings, I would just ask that that you too would pray. For Seth, our pastors are going to come. In fact, I want to ask Spence uh, if he and the other pastors will come. And we'll just lay hands on him down here for a moment. And then after this, as I prepare to close this in service, we're going to have the family and and, and friends who want to come to come. But I want to ask our pastors to go ahead and make their way. Michael, if you will. And we're going to lay hands. And, and while the worship team is singing, I would ask that you worship God through song. That you worship God through in a reverent way as you pray for Seth and Claire as they prepare to to leave this place, to go to Alabama and to share the gospel and to lead people in worship. Let us pray that God would continue to allow us to raise up even more who would be able and willing to go for the sake of Jesus. So I'm going to give us this opportunity to To just lay hands. The band is going to lead us in prayer. I mean in song. And you pray and we'll pray. And then we'll close out the service.